Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Happy Monday to you all, which means we get to talk to our buddy Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Frank, it's Matthew Nye's season, a long-awaited. It's officially here. Congratulations to all that celebrate. Hey, uh, I'm certainly one of those who celebrate. I've been watching his career closely and, and did you guys survive the best sports weekend of the year? We had a hell of a time trying to recap it all in the first 55 minutes of our show. I think we did all right. Come but on. There was a you lot. can't do that. It's hard, right? You can't right? try and fit 10 pounds in a five-pound bag. <laughs> we do our best here, Frank. But we left kind of the analysis of Matthew Nyes and the contract and the process of getting him here to you to break down um, the bonuses and the contract structure, how they managed to get it done so quickly after his uh, university career sadly ended in OT. Um I guess the, the major questions are also if he's going to debut tonight. Uh, where's the pulse on Matthew Nyes and his uh, putting on the Leaf sweater for the first time? I actually don't know the answer as to whether or not he debuts tonight. I think they're going to try and get him assimilated as quickly as possible. We've seen a couple teams in the last few weeks um, take a player directly from NCAA. I know the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they had one player in particular. I think it was Sean Farrell that went right from school didn't even participate in a morning skate right into the the lineup. Marty St. Louis was not too happy about that, but uh, I would say uh, some point this week, but I don't think it's a guarantee today. Um, Okay. So the contract um, 925 sounds like a entry level contract with, I guess the most that he could sign no bonuses and, um, in this because of just like the contract structure itself. Is this how you expected it to be done on paper? Yeah, I think they were going to try and get him the best cap hit they could in the sense of whatever they could afford on their cap. And this was sort of um, the best they could do with what they had remaining this season. They had planned it out that way. Um, No performance bonuses, um, you know, somewhat normal for this team, abnormal for others. But that's really kind of the way it works is with the Leafs. You get in, you play. You don't take the performance bonuses and they'll take care of you on the other end of it if you exceed where you should be. And in turn, I think Matthew and I should take care of a few of the writers that wrote at <laughs> about him ad nauseum because, you know, second round pick that's getting paid like a you know pretty high end first round pick in terms of ELC. So we will see if he can uh, meet that value in short order now that he's on his way to his professional uh, career. Are there any other college players? Because Matthew Nyes gets all the attention, of course, at least around these parts. Are any other college players coming out after the end of the uh, NCAA season that are going to have an impact on this playoff, maybe even more so than Matthew Nyes? Yeah, I think Luke Hughes for sure. Um, I think he, he might even have a bigger, I, I bet that he has a bigger impact uh, than Matthew Nyes. Special player leaving Michigan, um, you know, a lottery pick and to assimilate into that devil's team to do it so quickly. Uh, everyone knew that it was happening, but um, to really, you know, have your brother there as well. And Jack was kind of chasing that hundred point season this year. He's had a 
um, a great year and has taken another step forward in his career. Watching, you know, his two other brothers in the NHL to this point already and the impact that they've had, uh, I don't think it's going to be long before Luke's having one in the NHL and I could see him playing some major minutes this season as well. Other Leafs news this weekend was uh, I was actually there Saturday night and I got to see the second e-bug experience of my lifetime. Dave mm. Ayers and uh, our buddy Jet Alexander, um, Justin and I both agree that it was a nice moment, but I think it does bring a bigger discussion to how, once again, we maybe fix the e-bug situation. Um, I know, I'm sure you saw what Chris Weidman had to say about it. He wasn't very happy. Yeah. <laughs> a little bitter. I love that, by the way. Oh, you do love that. Uh, I guess he's just a little bit bitter because the Habs uh, haven't done too much this season and they were getting trounced uh, 7-1. But the bigger conversation is the e-bug situation and if there's ever going to be a change in how they go about this process. And Justin floated the idea of having like a third goaltender just always Uh on the payroll, waiting in the wings, helping at practice and such. And then if, you know, the situation arises, he's there and he's part of your team. He's not from University of Toronto. Yeah, I think there's a really simple fix and and Justin hit it right on the head. It kind of reminds me of the way they approach it in baseball with the full-time bullpen catcher in the majors. No idea what that guy makes, but knowing what ECHL and AHL goalies make, if you were to pay someone $75,000 or $100,000 a year to basically be the practice goalie when they're on the road, you're helping carry equipment bags, you're, you're basically an addendum to the equipment staff team, and then if need be, you're someone that you know played a, a pro career, you have the chops and ability to, to go in if called upon. This, this whole idea of continuing to bring in Amateur goalies, goalies who, you know, with all due respect to David Ayers, drive the Zamboni at the local rink, or in a lot of cases we've seen club college hockey players, like not even NCAA-level players that are being brought into NHL games. The story is amazing. I think we all can connect with the idea of the everyman getting his chance, the accountant getting to play in the NHL. Under no circumstances in the best league in the world should that be happening, let alone on a repeated basis multiple times per season now. So I get the idea of it and and the story. Everyone thinks it's great and it's fun. You know, it's like the garbage kicking field goal, uh, garbage picking field goal kicking Philadelphia phenomenon. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. This idea that you can just come off the street and step right into the big leagues. It needs to end. And I hate to be the guy that's sort of standing here, you know, with with the knife puncturing the balloon, but it's time. Like we, this is the NHL, and we need to move past it. Yeah, I'm with you. It happens too often. Uh, it's and it's and it is Mickey Mouse every time. Like it's thankfully it's never like a bad story, but I feel like that bad story mm-hmm. eventually is going to come, and it won't be fun for everyone, and especially that you know club goaltender that uh, you know gets us to live out his dream, but it turns out to be uh, <laughs> yeah. a nightmare. What what about the club goalie that eventually goes in and lets in eight? Yeah, that yeah. hasn't happened yet for whatever reason. I don't know why, but it it, it will at some point. It will at some point if this keeps going. And, and you know, we're about job creation. You know, $100,000 for a third goaltender who gets to be a part of uh, an NHL team, 32 jobs. I think that's a good idea. There are enough goaltenders in order to have that for every team. Just maybe you have to Justin, convince every owner to actually sign off on that. 
That you 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 got it, and that's the biggest issue. Is no one wants to dig in their pocket. No one wants to pay more money outside of the cap. It, you know, for the twenty teams that'll go for this, you're going to have ten or twelve that are going to go out kicking and screaming, trying to add this person to their payroll. All right, Marty Walsh, make your money, buddy. Um, <laughs> okay, so the Bruins set a single season NHL record, sixty three wins. The the year that uh, only mortals could dream of continues on with uh david pashnak reaching the 60 goal mark where does this bruin season now that we've hit a couple more check marks in terms or checkpoints rather on the path to greatness where does it rank for you on the best ever seasons that you have witnessed oh it's i think it's the best i've ever seen uh i've never seen a year quite like this like vaguely remember the 95 96 Red Wings as a kid, um, of course, the Lightning a couple of years back when they got swept by Columbus in the first round. Mm. I hate the idea of the records falling and some of those unbelievable Montreal Canadiens teams being the ones that go down, um, just in the sense that the game is different. And I don't mean technology is different. I mean the standing and, and how it works. Uh, all these OT games... It it's not the same record, and I think we shouldn't confuse that. And I'm I'm not sitting here taking anything away from the Boston Bruins and what they've done this year, but 52 of their wins of the 63 they have are in are in regulation. So that would be 11 fewer than the Montreal Canadiens would have had in the 70s. So I, I think it's important to put that in perspective. I sort of bristle at the idea that those are the records getting taken down. But any team that goes something like 33-4-3 and three on home ice has had an unbelievable year. Almost everything that could possibly go right for them has gone right. And I think what's the most amazing part about this Bruins season is that no one saw this coming. Yeah, this was a good team that had a good core in place. But I think almost universally, everyone was wondering, is this the year that the Bruins' window closes? The, the injuries that they started the year with, they, those guys came back so fast that I think we all kind of put it in our rearview mirror so quickly. But I remember going through preseason prediction time saying, this team, uh, hopefully they can just hang on and still be within striking distance of the playoffs by the time Marshan and those guys come back. Like, it, it was such a big deal, the players that they were missing to start, that they got off to such a hot start, they never even thought about it. Yeah, pretty remarkable surprise if you're a Boston area fan, just because there was a lot of trepidation coming in. We were talking about how, you know, Leafs win the division or bust. Well, they never had a chance to win the division because Boston uh, started off so hot and never looked back. They're going to be wire-to-wire President's Trophy winners, Atlantic uh, Division winners. Pretty remarkable stuff, and how Jim Montgomery's unlocked this team uh, has been very, very surprising and, frankly, uh, award, uh, award-worthy. And he will get the Jack Adams, at least, we believe. Uh, David Pashak, as I mentioned, hit the 60-goal mark. Two 60-goal scorers this season. We've only had five total, and this includes McDavid and Pashak this season, since 2000. What is the fact that we've had 40% of the 60-goal scorers over the last 23 years this season? What does it say about the NHL now? It says that scoring's off the charts, 6.4 goals per game, such an explosion that my big question is, it's kind of like trying to time the stock market or the housing market. Will there be a bubble that pops? And if so, what causes it? And the answer that I've 
thought of and, and have tried to come up with is that I don't see one coming right now. You know, at some point, goalies will adjust. Shooters have such a significant advantage. The way players move the puck east to west has changed the game forever. Um, I just, I at some point, the coaching and the goaltending will catch up. I just don't see it on the near near term horizon. And this game is way more exciting than it's ever been in the sense that there's no game in which a three nothing lead in the third period is over now. You know. Every game has the potential and possibility for a crazy, wild comeback, and that wasn't always the case. Frank, the Maple Leafs are only three games away here from the end of the regular season and looking forward to their first-round opponent, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning. But it seems like they've got some, maybe some injury uh, issues, but maybe some positivity with Tanner Janot, obviously their big trade deadline acquisition. Maybe there's a bit of uh, light for them in terms of a serious injury. Do you know any updates on Tanner Janot? Um, you know, obviously just, just heard the comments. The injury looked ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that not only did his foot go into the boards originally, but then the way it was crunched back by Scott Mayfield um, certainly didn't look good. Um, but it seems like, you know, there's the possibility that, um, you know, it's not quite as bad as it could have been. Um, but the Lightning as a whole are just sort of banged up. Mm-hmm. It's not just the Genoa injury. It's, you know, the way these guys, they're, they're sort of long in the tooth with all the games that they've played. And look, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you are in this spot, given, you know, where they are, given the way this format works with the league, um, right now, the Tampa Bay Lightning are right for the picking. Like you've you've got them. If you're going to get the Lightning at any point in the first round over the last number of years, this is the year they've you've wanted them. They look like mere mortals for the first time in a while. They're the sixth seed in the conference, so there's nothing really to complain about format-wise. If anything, you've gotten a little bit of a break. Um, the Leafs are the fifth seed, so in a normal year, they'd play the, the Rangers are the team that's ahead of them, um, if it was a one-to-eight, I should say. And I, like, I'd certainly, I think, at this point, rather face the Lightning than the Rangers in the first round. I mean, you could take your pick. None of them are cupcakes. But if you were a Leaf fan and, and you had to face the Lightning, this is the year you'd want to do it. No, I think you're right. I think there's some cautious optimism there in terms of just the opponent looking like it's the time for the Maple Leafs. But uh, we'll t- we'll talk about that when when the time comes. Um, but next week when we talk, one week, yeah, next week when we talk, um, who's going to be a team on the outside looking in? Um, I, I really struggle with this because I've said really consistently for the last few weeks that I thought the Pittsburgh Penguins and their veteran savvy would find a way to get in each additional Panthers win <laughs> really since uh, big Walt Keith Kachuk, they're five and zero since he, he called them soft. It which worked. Is, yeah. One of the great storylines of the year. Um, each additional win by the Panthers and Islanders just chokes off some oxygen for 
the Penguins, who have won two in a row in their own right and, and have the easiest schedule. But still to face the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets, we know from the Flames last week that you really can't take any game against the Blackhawks for granted or any team in this league because there is the chance that you lose. So I've been saying the Penguins are going to get in. I just, I'm not feeling that confident in anymore um, with the way the Panthers have played their best hockey of the year. And the Islanders just have the goalie. Um, It's the goalie factor for me with Sorokin, a big reason why I wouldn't want to be the team that plays them in the first round, especially if you're Boston. The last thing you want to do after an incredible year is, is run into a good goalie. So um, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling right now as we wake up five days left in the regular season, kind of feels to me like the Penguins are the team on the outside that's going to stay there. You mentioned running into a hot goalie. Uh, How about Alex Lyon? He has been maybe a surprise Uh hero for the Panthers during this six-game winning streak that they're on. Um, I I mean, he had not really crossed my radar before this uh, emergence with the Panthers, but uh, just how great is the story that he's been maybe potentially saving their season? It's it's been bananas. 956 save percentage, 6-0, nine goals against in those six games. Like, it's crazy to think about, uh, and I think at the same time as it's happened, even if you're in that Panthers locker room, you're probably sitting there saying, is the clock going to strike midnight for this guy mm-hmm. at some point, and, and what's going to happen when that is the case? And we've seen some magical runs even more extended than this, you know, thinking back to, I don't know, the Hamburglar and the way the Sens got in the playoffs that year. I think that was over like a 20-game stretch that he saved their season. So Lyon obviously isn't asked to be doing quite as much. Um, He's also a really accomplished goalie at the AHL level. Like he had good numbers for a long time. Um, And he's a bit older, so maybe not quite as phased by the moment. But still, with where that team was at, um, with the struggles of Sergei Bobrovsky, with Spencer Knight and his you know, taking a time out to deal with some, some, I believe, mental health issues, it was much needed. And for Alex Lyon to step in as a 30-year-old journeyman um, has been just added to the list of awesome stories. Uh, staying in the Eastern Conference playoff race uh, after a win, Bo Horvat had some interesting comments mm. uh, directed towards Vancouver Canucks fans. I guess asked about the experience, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, uh, within uh, inside the arena in Long Island or on Long Island. He said, it's a lot better than Vancouver. I'll tell you that for free. What did, what did you make of those comments from Bo? Well... First off, they were juicy, and and added to the list, you you just mentioned the Weidman comments from earlier, plus I thought it was a little odd, the Sheldon Keefe comments about putting in Jed Alexander, like the idea of, I got a call. Like, When do you ever hear an NHL coach admitting that they made lineup decisions based on what someone told them to do? That never happened. It's a content play, Frank. Uh, Yeah, side note there. Um what I make of it is that it was a really toxic situation in Vancouver and that Bo Horvat at the end of the day, I think still really wanted to be in Vancouver and they just were never coming to the table with the goods to pay him that type of money over that type of term. And I think he needed to get out sort of for his own sanity, so to speak, in the sense that, 
it was a daily dumpster fire there with him around the, the circus of the contract plus what was happening at the time with Bruce Boudreaux and all these other things that had sort of piled on. It, this season was a mess, and I think it's taken its toll, and you hear that play out, and you just wanted to give you know one last little jab, one last shot to the Vancouver Canucks and, and how that played out because he probably feels like he was wronged in some way. Yeah, it feels like the fans took a bit of an unnecessary stray, maybe the not lost in translation, but maybe intentions were, you know, just to take a shot at Vancouver, but it looks like the fans took a bit of a shot in the process. Um, okay, so... Unfortunate, yeah, unfortunate bystanders, innocent bystanders. <laughs> innocent bystanders, that's correct. Um, okay, so we mentioned the Boston Bruins, talk about how great they are. I'm assuming they're on your list of, or your short list of teams that can win the Stanley Cup. But how long mm-hmm. is that list? How many teams, like if you want to put a number on it, Ooh. can win the Stanley Cup this year? Mm. I'm going to say five. Wow. Okay, we need names rather than just the number. <laughs> See you next week. Frank will give us this five. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I got to run. Um, uh, so he- here's what I'm looking at right now. And there's, a lot of inherent recency bias in this. Like I'm taking a team like Carolina out of the mix where for the first 65 to 70 games, they were squarely in it. But I don't know if it's just the Svechnikov injury. This team has scuffled down the stretch in, in such a big way. It feels like they're in a tailspin that I don't know that they have the top end talent to get out of. They have the defense of course, uh, but it's, there is no easy path in the Metro, even if you're able to beat, I don't know, let's say Florida, who's obviously going to come in playing hot. Um, playing New Jersey or New York in the second round is, is not going to be easy, and that's no given in the sense that the the door was wide open as well for the Devils to step through and be the team uh, on Saturday that's leading the division as we speak this morning. That didn't happen, of course, after Carolina lost, but the Canes do have a game in hand and a point. So I'm assuming that they end up winning the division. I'm going to say the teams that I have on that short list, Boston, Toronto, Colorado, Edmonton, and um, I, I know that I, I shouldn't be counting out the Vegas Golden Knights. They just, they don't, they're playing well, they're hot, like all those things, and they've overcome a lot this season. I just don't know that they have the goods at the end of the day. So I'm going to say one of Dallas or Vegas. Okay. So no one from the Metropolitan Division. I, whoever gets through to the conference final from the Atlantic, I think beats either one of those teams. Okay. I like it. That's, I don't think my list would be much longer than six mm-hmm. either. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I got Toronto on my list as well. Okay, last one for you. Another Metro team, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins scratching and clawing to get into the playoffs. Sidney Crosby hits 1,500 points for his career, which is a nice round number to hit. But, you know, still a lot could be done this season. Maybe they get into the playoffs. Maybe they make a run. But it feels like we're not poised to have a larger Sid discussion here. But at some point, is this not going to be okay if they start missing the playoffs with regularity. They haven't since his rookie season, but if this starts to become habit, how soon is there actual noise? And I'm not saying Sid's leaving, but is Sid ever going to be 
frustrated enough to say something about where the direction of the Penguins is and where they're going or seemingly going right now as a franchise? I think it's too early to have the Sid discussion because we don't know what's happening next. And I say that not in any sort of veiled context. Other than that, we know there's a lot of heat on Ron Hextall. If they miss the playoffs, I don't think it's a 100% stone-cold mortal lock guarantee, but I think there's a very high probability that he is no longer manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think even if they lose in the first round, there's a real chance that Ron Hextall is not back, even after only a couple of short years as Penguins GM. He's not Fenway Sports Group. He's not their guy. They didn't pick him. He certainly doesn't run his team in a way that Fenway Sports would with you know, the way they handle all their other properties, including soccer, um, very analytically based. So I don't think it's fair to have the Crosby conversation without first having eyes on what's coming next. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I do think that there was certainly some frustration with um, where he's at with his contract. And I, it sounds funny to say, but he signed this 12-year, $104 million deal. He, I don't think he or anyone else envisioned that he would be playing out these final three years. Think about what the situation was like when he signed it. He's playing these final three years at just $3 million apiece. And that's driven, I think that's driven him a little crazy. Like, I think that's certainly been something that's bothered him. They tried and had a conversation to renegotiate the deal. Obviously, that's not acceptable under terms of the CBA. I think they even took it a step further and and sort of asked the league if that would be possible, which, of course, got a resounding no. But it was certainly something that popped up as some frustration. So I don't think think there's any SID frustration with the Penguins themselves. Obviously, he's a competitor and he wants to win, and it's still a complete and – impactful player in the NHL. But, you know, I, I think with the the way that this team is locked in with all the contracts, Malkin, Latang, et cetera, et cetera, there's really not a ton of avenue and room for change. Well, at least there's some frustration. I think we need some frustration because I do fear that, uh, you know, unproductive final seasons for Sidney Crosby, I don't think is good for anyone, especially not good for Sidney Crosby, the Penguins or the NHL. So uh, is that even possible? Like our unproductive final seasons for Sid, like he's not even human. Like, come on. Well, we're about to find out, but if they keep missing the playoffs and again, they haven't missed the playoffs yet, but they missed this year and it's a worse team next year. It's going to be an anticlimactic end or the final chapters of his career. And I don't think anyone wants to see that. I think that's uh, that's a miss, and that would be very, very disappointing. To, to your point, this is a big question for the Pens and the Islanders. If they don't get in this year, and one of them likely won't, when do they get back in? Yeah. Because Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit, they're all coming. I don't see Pittsburgh magically getting much better year over year, and same thing with the Islanders. And unfortunately, even with those teams not yet at maturity, uh, the Penguins are in an uphill battle, like plus two goal differential on the season. Like it's it's it hasn't been good. It hasn't been good enough. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're headed towards an early exit if they even get there. Uh, Frank, we appreciate the time. This was fun. We're going to connect next week on the day of day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, we can't, can't wait. wait. We are at the finish line. <laughs> uh, get fired up. Enjoy the last week of the regular season. 
Enjoy it, guys. See you. Have a good week. That's Frank Saravelli, NHL insider and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Colorado, Toronto, Boston, Edmonton, and one of Dallas and Vegas. He says five. That's kind of six. Colorado, Toronto, Boston, Edmonton, Dallas, Vegas. I don't know about Colorado, Justin. They are struggling with some injuries. Kale McCarr's out. Gabe Landeskog's out. They were struggling with the Anaheim Ducks last night. They did win the game. They came back. They were down Mm 4-2. I went to bed, and they did win 5-4 in overtime. I don't believe there's, like, a timeline for Kale McCarr right now. They got to win the division. And they are atop of the division right now, but it's it's a dogfight. But they need a bit of an easy... Because if they catch Dallas or Minnesota in the first uh, series, they might be right for the taking as well like Tampa Bay might be. They're just down some some bodies, and they're already, you know, a little tired from their lengthy playoff run before. But I'm just saying I, I feel a little less confident about the abs. But you're right. They can win and get a little easier opponent. Move. They just got to have the, their superstars ready. <laughs> Say that nonetheless. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with Frank on Carolina, but I'm not counting out Jersey or the Rangers yet. I think the team that wins that. They're fiery. That matchup, if they do play in the first round, is going to be... Uh, Definitely live. All right. One week away. We'll know. uh, We'll have game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs starting up. And we'll know most of these matchups pretty soon Mm -hmm. in the next couple days. All right. Time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. It was a pretty great weekend for the Tampa Bay Rays as they continue to break records. Beat the Oakland A's 11-0 on Sunday, improving to a 9-0 record on the season. Now, not only are they undefeated, but they have outscored their opponents 74-13, tallying the most runs in the big leagues and allowing the fewest. They're the first team since the 03 Kansas City Royals to start a season 9-0, and the first team since 1884 with a run differential of more than 50 over the first nine games. 50? In 1884, the mound was 50 feet from home plate. 50? Tampa's won every game by four or more runs. The longest winning streak to start a season is 13 by the 82 Braves and the 87 Brewers. So things to keep an eye on. The Rays are here against Toronto this upcoming weekend after they get through the Detroit Tigers for their beginning of their home stand. So they're scary and they're coming. So stay tuned. Yeah, it's going to be a terrifying weekend for sure for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, with those bottom three pitchers not necessarily informed. Doesn't line up great. Tampa Bay being informed, guys like Randy or Rosarena. I mean, they, but it's not even a, that fifty plus fifty run differential. Yeah, a lot of offense has come out of the Tampa Bay Rays. But boy, did they pitch as well. Mm-hmm. They have their best pitcher is not even available right now. Tyler Glasnow or one of them. Maybe not their best with Shane McClanahan, but they are. They just pitch. They just do. They just pitch. They pitch you to death. And the Tampa Bay Rays are a terrifying, terrifying team. And we were way too fast to write them off. Oh, it's definitely a three-horse race for the AL East. And with the way that the Tampa Bay Rays have started, the Yankees and Blue Jays might be chasing them all year. Big time. Uh, Blue Jays back tomorrow night. Uh, they start their home stand with their home opener. That's against the Detroit Tigers. 7.07 first pitch tomorrow. We're excited. Be there at the ballpark for the first time. The new Rogers updates will be great for fans to check out. We've got winners and losers on the other side of the break. Then we'll talk to Jeff Blair about the Blue Jays weekend, the spin through the bottom half of the rotation once again, and maybe about these Rays and if he... Didn't give them the love and respect that we also avoided.
All right, winners and losers next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's Monday at 7.30, so you know it's time for our winners and losers of the weekend. If you are a winner profitably, that is amazing for you. You can help send in your Wake and Rake picks at 595.90 for tonight's games. we got Maple Leafs at the Florida Panthers. Maybe the Matthew Nyes debut, maybe gets four goals like another Maple Leaf once did. I got to admit, I'm still reeling from Frank Saravelli mentioning in the last block that Sidney Crosby only makes $3 million a year. Like, if you think if you're at home or if you're, you know, at your place of work and you think you're severely underpaid, you're not as underpaid as Sidney Crosby. I know he's made, like, the full freight mm-hmm. on his 104, 104 take-home over this 12-year contract that he signed in 2012. But the fact that he's only bringing in $3 million right now and will do it's so for the, only the next two years is nuts. Really is crazy. Would you put him in your loser's column? Uh, not yet. They got to miss the playoffs. And the Penguins will be losers next Monday Ooh. if they don't make the playoffs. I wonder if we did predictions for who will be in our losers next Monday. Well, that'll be a, an NHL-less weekend, right? Only mm-hmm. five days left in the regular season. We're going, you know, Monday to Friday here. And then just a couple of days off on the weekend for the NHL to reset before the playoffs begin on Monday. That's a bit of a different. It's usually a Wednesday, isn't it? Last games on Hockey Night Canada Saturday. Remember. Anyway, we'll have to deal. It's all a blur. All right, so Leafs in action tonight against the Panthers. They got a back-to-back Panthers, Lightning, and then they end their season, regular season, on Thursday against the Rangers at MSG. Maybe we see Matthew Nyes. Maybe not. But he's a winner and a loser. Why is he a loser? His team lost the national championship in overtime on Saturday night after basically dominating the first two periods of the game. And then I don't know what happened. Third period, fell asleep at the wheel. OT, 10 seconds in, they lose. A tough way to go out after a guy wanted to go back and finish what he started and get the hardware. An OT loss is a devastating, but a win for college hockey fans. I got to see, I, I, you always love a golden goal moment, right? Mm-hmm. That was fun to see. Connecticut in general, massive winners because they just won the national championship in both hockey and in basketball, becoming the first time since 1977 that both the men's hockey and hoops champs came from the same state. Oh, that's pretty cool. So congratulations to Connecticut for winning. Look at you. Is that that Hockey East? What is it? it? Uh, For us, it was ECAC, but I don't know what the men are in. Probably ECAC still. I I I I had no idea QPAC was in Connecticut, but shout out to Connecticut for a... Beautiful, beautiful facilities. I always loved playing at QPAC. Um, Absolutely stunning arena. Was never, never, never attended very much when we played there. The men's games are always sold out, but the women's were quite sleepy. But the facilities were probably some of the best I've ever played in at QPAC. So congrats to them. And uh, first time since 1977 that the champs came from the same state. So Connecticut just winning. Connecticut on a wave. Tough go for uh, Matthew Nice. I mean, when you make the decision, we're coming back to win something. It's like there's no like, 
Uh, and there's no consolation prizes. You went back for one reason. I mm-hmm. guess you went back to, you know, mature as an athlete and to get better as a hockey player. But he wanted to go back to win. And unfortunately, with that sleepy third period, as you mentioned, but I put them in my middle of the Venn diagram because he's a winner because he signed this, you know, pretty good entry level contract. And he's going to play for the Maple Leafs in the next 48 hours. We believe. Uh, I'll go to my Venn diagram selection uh, next then. Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka's Venn diagram, this is for a lot of reasons here. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Clearly, he had an awesome golf tournament. He said, and he said on record, that he just wants to feel what it feels like again. And he would trade all the money in the world and all the fame and all that stuff. He would trade it just to feel that competitive golf feeling again. And he must have felt it Sunday in the final round versus John Rahm and all weekend long as he you know, jumped out in front on Thursday at the Masters and was there the entire way. So... He's a winner in that sense. He's a loser in that he was plus three final round, didn't win the green jacket, stuck on his four major championships, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good for uh, anyone. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a couple other things here. Like, he's a winner because he proved that he could still play at that level. But he's also a loser because doesn't it seem like he wants to be a PGA Tour professional again? And did he make the wrong decision last year? Did he mm-hmm. panic last year and say, hey, I can't make any money out here anymore. I've got to take the bird in hand. I got to take what they're dangling in front of me. And we heard, you know, whispers. We talked last week with Shane Ryan about how there's nothing he can do. Maybe he wants back, but he's have to pay the penalty tenfold to get out of his contract with Liv. It just seems like a guy that's like personally embattled mm-hmm. at all times. And I feel like if he could take it back, he would, because what we saw on the weekend is proof that he can still do it. And what we saw on the weekend is this guy who probably had more fun playing golf or more gratification playing golf over the weekend at the Masters than at any point even winning on the Live Tour. Uh, it just feels like this guy still has something. And unfortunately, he can only show that a couple times a year, three or four times a year in major championships. And, you know, that's all he really cared about before, too. So maybe that's okay with him. But to me, it seems like... I saw a little regret on Brooks Kepka's face over the weekend, not just because he couldn't finish the job. I guess you can put Liv in the winner's column then because they big had time, to, big time winners. They came out and kind of shut everybody up um, in terms of, oh, is this a competitive place? Are they even going to be able to make a, any noise here at the Masters? They were getting shunned in terms of coverage and there's all this tension around it. But uh, yeah, they had. Four guys in the top four, Brooks, Phil, and Patrick Reed, and the rest of them did pretty well too. And I think they they made a bit of headway in legitimizing what they're doing, whether you like it or not. But performance-wise, there were some guys that really, including and unsuspectedly Phil Mickelson, shut everybody up in terms of what they can do. I think they proved that they don't have inferior golfers. Because their golfers went ahead and and not on a whole, like, competed head-to-head. I don't know how it actually shake down. Yeah, there's some mm-hmm. guys who performed very, very poorly. But they stepped right in and competed with all those PGA guys like it wasn't an issue. Guys yeah. like Reed, overachieve, you'd think. Mickelson, a huge overachiever. But Brooks Kapika playing the way he did, beating everyone in the field, with the exception of John Rahm in terms of PGA Tour professionals. Uh, it says... It says that they still have quality golf there. It's just, is quality golf being played when they're actually on tour with Liv? I guess that's uh, up to you to decide. Um, Augusta National has to be a winner. It was not the best weekend at Augusta National, for sure. It wasn't the best display of their golf course. We barely saw any sunshine. It was not what they had envisioned. But no lawsuits. 
no lawsuits for Augusta National. Oh, God. Uh, because that tree that fell, and of course, that's, I guess, a little bit of a failure on the golf course because there's trees falling, uh, but it didn't do any damage. And that could have been disaster. It was like lives so they're were winners, winners for just avoiding disaster and avoiding what could have been, you know, one of like a horrendous, it, could have, it was a disaster. It could have been a disaster mm-hmm. and they avoided that. So no lawsuits, winners, Augusta National. Um, okay, let's stick with the uh, Masters because Sam Bennett is obviously a huge winner. Um, the amateur that made headlines this weekend, he has a really special story. I don't know if you saw about the tattoo that he's got on his arm, but mm-hmm. I wanted to read that one as well. So he, his father passed away and he got his dad to write down... Um, a quote that he had said, it says, don't wait to do something. Pops 6, 12, 2020, and he got it tattooed on his arm. And obviously this weekend we saw a lot of that. It's a very simple message, but turns out it has a lot of meaning for him. And obviously this weekend, um, he had a pretty great performance. His dad passed away. I think it was in 2021 to Alzheimer's and I'm sure he was watching. Um, and part of that, uh, in a different sense, but it was just really special to see that. And really glad to see that guy had an incredible weekend and, it was just a nice story to follow around. So he's a winner, um, not only because of that, but because of his performance. But I heard a, a funny story about after the weather turned for the worst, he r- realized that he didn't have the appropriate clothes to continue the tournament. So after, I feel like he's wearing that pink shirt over and over again. So he had to go to Dick's Sporting Goods after Saturday's performance and go shopping. He's like, what you go- what'd you guys do after the start and after the... the- the play ended. He's like, oh, I just hung out. A few buddies came over. We went out to eat with our coach. I had to go to the Dicks to get some warmer clothes, some Under Armors with the weather. <laughs> he just wasn't prepared. Well, this guy... Seems like a gem, though. He's taken the last few months to prepare strictly for Augusta because he knew he was going to have yeah. this opportunity. But he didn't think of looking at the uh, the weather report. But big-time winner. Um, uh, big-time winner. And if you're going to leave a message to a kid or to someone, some one. inspiration, don't wait to do something is a very good one. Just to wrap it up on golf, golf is a winner. I think we've established some important things here with the Masters is that we have entertainment tiers when it comes to golf. We have the majors, which are always separating, have separated themselves. But it's that little added drama with the live guys being there. So we have the majors and mm-hmm. live. Then we have the premium events. Then we have the rest of the tour events. Like it's more of a it's more of a, a spectrum of what we're going to see and what we should expect. And when the live guys are there, you can't tell me it's not better, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, however you want to look at it, when they're there, it's more interesting. And it wasn't this like adversarial thing this weekend. Yeah. It wasn't like that, but it was enjoyable. It was laden with storylines. All of it was great. That was, it was a, you, you had to work for it, but if you st- stayed committed to that tournament, very, very entertaining. I do have one more before we wrap up golf. Okay. And we'll talk to Jason Sobel at 830. John Rom winner. Yes, he won the Masters, but... Yeah, we've glossed over that a little bit. Like, shout out to John. Yes. In 2013, he posted a tweet of a fortune cookie. The fortune cookie says, Your talents will be recognized and suitably rewarded. It's from Panda Express to the Panda Inn. He took a photo of it and tweeted it on November 8th, 2013, and said, I'm going to win the Masters. There you go. And he did just that. John Rahm slipping on that green jacket. It was it was always destined, I think, for John John Rom, fortune cookie or not, uh, one of the best golfers in the world. It always felt like he'd have success there, uh, and he does finally get that uh, that green jacket. Another winner, David Kampf. 
David Camp went for it, baby. I texted you immediately, David Camp. My heart would have stopped if David Camp hit the Michigan, which he tried. I think you need a little bit more momentum. Maybe the stationary Michigan yeah, isn't as successful as the it. one sweeping across the net. But just the audacity from my guy, David Camp, to try the He's Michigan. He's feeling it come he playoffs gets a, he, gets a, he gets a winner from me. Um, all right, winners. The offense for the Toronto Blue Jays, including the following. Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, and Vladimir Guerrero. The first trio of MLB teammates to each have 16-plus hits over their team's first nine games since. Listen to these names. Nap Lejoie, Sox Sabold, and Lave Cross did so for the Philadelphia Athletics in 1901. Nap, Sox, and Lave. Nap Lejoie? Is that Roger's great-grandfather? I was going to say. <laughs> is Nap short Let's go to Ancestry.ca. And you would think that, that Nap is short for Napoleon. So Napoleon, Sox, and Lave, which could be short for Lafayette, someone is saying. Okay. I don't know. There's no way those are real human beings, but apparently they are. What a trio. It's like the quote of that tweet about Shohei doing the first thing since, you know, who did the thing, you know, the, the viral tweet. First time the Shohei's, this has happened since whatever. You know the tweet I'm talking about, the Shohei tweet. Okay. No, you lost me on this one. The viral tweet, I'm going to pull it up, where it's like, this is the first time this has happened since. Anyway, you continue. I'll get the tweet. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take uh, my last winner, Israel Adesanya. Uh, UFC 287, yeah. I think, on the weekend. Israel Adesanya had lost three straight matches, whether it's kickboxing or in the UFC. Lost his title last time out to Alex Pereira. He's just like the smaller dude. He's immensely talented, obviously. He's one of the greatest strikers that mixed martial arts has ever seen. But this guy just had his number. And this guy looked like he was 25 pounds bigger than him. And he looked like he was in trouble once again. Backed into a corner, covering up, shelling up. Looked like he was toast. And then he throws a missile over the Mm. top. Connects with Alex Pereira. Knocks him out. Immediately goes into Alex Pereira's little uh, celebration, which is the bow and arrow. So he's pantomiming bows and arrows at him while he's down, knocked out. Unbelievable moment for the UFC Israel Adesanya getting his title back. Uh, very, very special stuff. Uh, it was cool to watch. I don't know about his post-match uh, celebration or the speech that he gave. Like, he was trying to be inspirational. It kind of came across as a little bit conceited, but he's trying his best to be inspirational, uh, saying that, you know, you should get off the couch and and try so you can feel what I felt right now. Not everyone's going to have that opportunity, is As he? I'm but, on the uh, couch, like, nah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I was a little offended when I was on the couch watching it. Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome. And you can't get a better highlight than what he provides. And as much as he's a great mixed martial artist, uh, he's got the showman thing down and he nailed it in the aftermath of it. It was a great show. And uh, is he getting his title back is a winner for me. The, the tweet that I can't believe you haven't seen because it has millions of impressions is every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like, quote, Mike Trout hit three homers and raised his average to 528 while Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsteen Armo Doyle of the 1921 <laughs> okay. Akron Groomsmen as the Tigers defeated the Angels 8-3. Anyway, it's no, kind of like I mean, it looked like when you saw that quote for the Blue Jays. Having not seen that tweet, I had no chance of getting what you're talking about, but uh, we got there. Okay, Bo Horvat. Maybe winner, maybe loser. We have the audio clip of what he said post-game when he was asked about what it was like playing in front of the Islanders fans. Yeah, you can put them wherever you want in your Venn diagram. Two more regular season games, one more here at UBS Arena. How does this rank for you in playoff pushes, the excitement of this building and the fans' involvement over the last couple of games? Yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable. It's a lot better than Vancouver, I'll tell you that for free. 
Hey. That is, uh, that is a quote. I don't know where you want to put him in there. Is it winner or loser? It's Ven. He's a winner. Okay, since we've had no losers then, I'm sorry, Canadian golf. Bit of a loser weekend for our guys. Yeah. Corey Connors blew Tough. up. Missed. I think they all missed the cut, right? They all, oh no, Mackenzie Hughes got in, I think. But not a great showing for the quartet of Canadian golfers there, of course, is mm, predominantly three guys that we expect to at least have a chance of, you know, put, making the cut, making a run, maybe placing top 10, maybe winning it. Um, but these guys did not perform particularly well over the weekend. Unfortunately, Canadian golf did not have a good showing at the Masters. I have lots more, but we're running tight against the clock here. We got our buddy Jeff Blair, and then we've got Jason Sobel at 8.30. Give us one quick loser. One quick loser, um, ooh, the Flames, <laughs> because they have now tied an NHL or tied for third for most in the NHL for 29th one goal loss this season. They legitimately cannot win goal games. When it gets to one goal, you might as well just give up. Uh, the Flames looking to try to find a playoff spot. I have one more too than Ducks also. Um, they have done it. They have now recorded the most shots allowed on goal in the single season ever in the NHL. The Anaheim Ducks have? Yes. That's rough. And they're not helping themselves. They haven't won a game in their last 10, but they've picked up points recently. They've had a couple overtime losses. Like, if you're going to lose, do not pick up points while you're losing. Anaheim, second last in the league right now. Actually, no, third last in the league right now. We should talk about the Mavs and how they're losers and Rudy Gobert, who's also a loser for punching his own teammate in the face, but maybe we'll fit that in during the wake and rake. Okay. But yeah, there's some losers in the NBA. Your Raptors have an opportunity to not be losers, but Wednesday comes around. They're in the play-in against Chicago Bulls. We'll tee all that up. you got the Maple Leafs tonight, Canada, USA, and women's hockey. Send in your wake and rake picks at 595.90. We'll have some time to put those together after we talk to Jason Sobel at 830. We'll have a baby wake and rake, so we'll get those in. Um, we'll sprinkle a couple picks in and do our parlay, but on the other side of the break, let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. Sunday's game was one of the craziest that maybe Jeff Blair's ever seen. He's seen some baseball. Let's chat with him next on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show.